Awesome. We, we do genuinely believe this is going to be a game changer for our entire church community. Um, we know that not all of you are old school like me and take pen and paper and keep a moleskin with you wherever you go. Um, but we want to give you the chance to do, uh, to do that uh, today. And we, we're going to try to do that every Sunday. It's a great platform that YouVersion provides for us. And then our team in-house, um, led by Isabel and others, they're, they're just making sure that we're good to go. So lots of things on there. The only downside is, is that it means you're, uh, I'm going to have to stick to my notes. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to just go with the Spirit wherever He leads, and you can call me out later. A few things to get through, to get to and through before we get into the teaching for today. Uh, for starters, um, Kendrick, those pipes. Wow. That was good, wasn't it? Man. Todd told me to trust him when he got his friend Kendrick to lead for us this morning. But Kendrick, thank you. It's amazing to have you here as a gift to our church. And we're thrilled that you're in the Bay Area. Baptism is next week, which means you have an opportunity to do not just what we occasionally do. And it's not a big deal. You have an opportunity to join in with a couple thousand years worth of Christians taking their step and being baptized. And let me tell you why it's a huge thing for us here at Epic and why we emphasize it. The reason we emphasize it so highly is because it has everything to do with our entire philosophy of ministry. Our entire philosophy of ministry is this. We're on a journey where we're trying to center our lives around God, which means if you're on a journey, you have to, there, there are these mile markers, right? Or, or as we call them, next steps. And, and in order to keep moving forward with what God has for you, you've got to take your next step. Well, baptism, whether you became a Christian 20 years ago or on Easter, or you become a Christian in this gathering this morning, baptism really is a first step. And the reason we want you to have the courage to take that step here is because if you can't take that step in your faith here around people who love you and are going to celebrate, how will you take your subsequent next steps of faith out there? So let us just behoove you, encourage you and say for your own good and for the joy and celebration of this community. If that's the next step for you, you can fill it out on your communication card. You can also go to epicsf.com slash baptism. There's a form there, information there, short video for myself. And we just want to be able to help you take whatever your next step is. But if your next step is your first step, let's start there. Secondly, you have these booklets in your seats. If you know and have been around, we've been doing these for the month of April. They actually continue all the way through July. 14 total. I will give you number 14 in just a moment. But our first two have uh, commenced this week. Uh, ben Chuff led one last Sunday. The McCords led one yesterday in their neighborhood. And I've heard tremendous things about both of those gatherings, which is awesome. So we've had two gatherings. 50 different people have shown up, which means we have a chance to continue to speak into your life, what you're interested in. And as you go through this booklet, there are just some incredible men and women talking about things that if you weren't even aware of before, you should be interested in now. Let me give you a 14th one to add that's not in the booklet. It's going to be led by Cindy Chu talking about the goodness of work. She's going to help you do an exercise where you look at kind of the mundane, ordinary things of your day, the high things, low things, the things you like, you don't like, and just ask, what would it look like for this particular interaction to become sacred? I think you will be blessed by that and by the other uh, 11 that are left besides Cindy's. But for today, we are in week three of the platform series. You know, we've been talking about a lot of this, but there's so much that your platform can do for you. Your platform gives you a chance to influence another person or maybe even a group of people or maybe even an entire company or perhaps even the culture at large. 
platform gives you influence. I hope that you see, regardless of the size of your platform or stage, that you can shine God's, God's light wherever you happen to be located and placed there. Because we believe God is ascending God. And when you steward your platform well, you share the love and light of God. We also believe that your platform gives you a great space to utilize your God-given gifts. And I hope, I know it's not true universally in this room, but I hope that your platform actually brings you great joy. Having a number of conversations with many of you related to work and the lack of joy. And so I'm not saying any of our uh, jobs should be 100% joy-filled all of the time from a circumstantial standpoint. But I hope that you get around to being able to experience joy and fulfillment when you're doing whatever it is that your platform and vocation give you the chance to do. So a lot of things that your platform can do for you, but that's not the message title for today. The title of this talk today is this, what your platform cannot do for you. So much your platform can do for you, but I want to talk to you today and I really want you to lean in and listen because there are some things you're asking your platform to do for you that it will never be able to do for you. Here are a few of those things right off the bat. There is no platform that can give you your ultimate identity. There is no platform that can actually give you, hand you, your ultimate identity. Number two, there is no platform that can fully satisfy your deepest longings. There's no platform that you can say, if I get to do that, or if I get that number of followers, everything will be settled for life. And number three, even the most significant platforms in the world make terrible idols. Even the most significant platforms in the world make terrible idols. For those of you on the app, am I doing okay so far? All right. And here's why the most significant platforms make terrible idols. There is no position that will take care of everything you need. And there's no company you could work for that will actually satisfy your deepest longings. And there is no amount of wins that you could not on your belt... And have your soul's issues taken care of. And there's no degree of power or wealth that's going to solve all of your problems. So let me ask you this question. Are you asking your vocation to do for you what it was never meant to do for you? Ask it again. It's a good one. It's one you want to tuck in your belt and take with you. Are you asking your vocation to do for you? What it was never meant to do for you. Some of us have told ourselves, if I get into this or if I get into that, finally I will have arrived. But are you asking, am I asking our vocations to do for us what they can never actually do for us? There's a story in the Old Testament I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. And it's a story, and I'm sure I had read a long time before this, but a couple of years ago it just stood out to me. And I taught a message on it. And I'm going back to the text today because I believe this text gives so much wisdom wisdom, and I would even say warning when it comes to our platforms. So if you have a Bible, we're, as you know, some of you going to be in second Chronicles chapter 26 for the rest of you go to the table of contents. No big deal. It's in the old Testament. And I want to ask you to stand with me. And as you stand before I read, I want to tell you a few things about the gentleman we're going to read about. You'll see in a moment that he's a King named Uzziah, but what I want to tell you about him and the reason you should take this warning, this word to heart today is because he starts out on the right track. And so many of you, you did start out on the right track related to what we're talking about today. Maybe you're still on the right track today. That is great. 
from the text, it seems like he was on the right track for about five decades. And then something happened related to his platform that quickly got him off the track God had provided for him, which means this. It's not just happening to kings from thousands of years ago. It can happen to you and it can happen to me. So Second Chronicles 26, you can read the entire chapter some point by yourself, but I'm going to give you three through eight, 15 and 16, 20 and 21. Here we go. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. I'm still going. That is not my timer. <laughs> God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Ger-Bel and against the Minyanites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful down to 15 and 16 in Jerusalem. He made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. As 20 and 21, sorry. When Azariah, the chief priest and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out, out of the temple. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. You may be seated. There's so much in here. This is one of those maybe obscure texts, it seems like. But because of what you and I face on a daily basis, I invite you to continue to go back to this story. And when we're first introduced to Uzziah, he has so many personal qualities that we should emulate. Would you agree? He does what is right in the eyes of God. I mean, I don't know what your aim in life is. We may not even this morning all know what would be right in the eyes of God. But if that could be said about any portion of our lives, we would want it to be said. I I did what God wanted me to do. It then says that he had an advisor, maybe think mentor. And a guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah instructed him in the ways of the Lord. And don't miss that. While things are going well spiritually and personally for Uzziah, he's got someone else maybe further along in their faith, it seems like, instructing him, at least in the early days, about how to follow God and live out his ways. And then you get this statement in verse 5. It's a statement you should rally around. It's a statement you should underline if you do that kind of thing. It says this, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. It does not say as long as he sought success, he got success. It does not say as long as he sought a bigger platform, he received a bigger platform. It says as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. There's a question I owe to you based on what we just read there. And it's this question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Now, those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. We've been in church for a while. You know, in church, the answer that when I ask you, what are you seeking? You're going to give me the answer. What are you seeking? The answer should be, should be God. But here's what we do. 
And we do it, I think, most of the time, innocently enough, when we hear that, that we should seek God, we think, even me, I don't really know how to seek God. And I don't think you're kidding yourself. I, I, I think you genuinely believe, at least right now, that you don't know how to seek God. But let me take the word God off the question. And let me just ask you this question. How do you seek? How do you seek? If there is a man or woman that you are interested in having a romantic relationship with, do you know how to seek? Some of you don't, and that we, we will coach you. But generally speaking... Every one of us in here, if there was a person that we wanted to have a date with or express our interest in, you you know how to do it. You would know how to seek them out. You wouldn't be calling us going, how do I seek? How do I seek? How do I seek? If you want to seek something on the internet, do you know how to do that? If you want to seek a promotion, if you want to seek to get into your favorite university, we know how to seek. So I have no excuse, even though I honestly think sometimes, oh, I don't know how to do this. Or you think genuinely, I don't know how to do this. You know how to seek God. You seek God like you seek everything else. You have your heart set on him and you figure out a way to get it done. You, you figure out a way to get into his presence, to get into his word. You, you find out, okay, when they found God, how did they position or posture themselves to find God? And then you begin to position and posture yourself to find God. I want to say to you, you know how to seek God. And I do too. My excuses are out the window. So are yours. It is better to seek God than to seek a bigger platform or more success. It is better to seek God than to seek a larger platform or more success, though all of us, including the guy on the stage, were so guilty of seeking everything but God. There was a day Jesus was teaching, and his topic was worry. I know nobody ever worries about anything related to their work. Ever. Me neither. Ever. All the time. (laughs) And Jesus was teaching about worry, and he said this. He said, don't run after all of these things first like the pagans do. What he meant by that was the people who don't have God, they pursue after all of these things. Instead, for you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will then be added to you. What are you seeking? As he sought God, he received success. Verse 7 said, God helped him. Verse 15 says his fame began to spread. And after his fame spread, he became powerful because he was greatly helped. He became powerful because he was greatly helped. And his, his fame began to, to spread. And I want you to think about this. When he's powerful now and he's very wealthy and, and he's famous, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. I know you've heard teaching to the contrary. I do not believe because I believe all of these things were God-given. I'm not saying you seek God, you get wealthy, you get powerful, you get famous. But I believe in this case, the way the scriptures present his story is that God gave him these things. God expanded his platform. So they're not inherently evil. However, the more wealth you gain, the more power you get, the more you will be tempted to forget who God is and how he has helped you. Some of you know this personally. Others of us just need to be told today, hey, I'm not powerful yet. I'm not wealthy yet. I'm not famous yet or maybe ever. But I need to hear today that the temptation will go up as my platform expands. It always goes up. It always goes up. And if I could be so bold to say this, that Satan, he might want to destroy you while you have a small platform. But if you get a bigger one, he'll come after you for sure. Guaranteed. Too many examples in the scriptures, too many examples in our world and in the church today. Enough said about that. Now notice what it says in verse 7. It says God helped him. And then in verse 15, it says that he became powerful because he was helped. 
So explicitly, God helped him in verse 7. In verse 15, implicitly, it's saying to us that God was the one who helped him greatly. That's how he became powerful, which means this. Uzziah should have known that he didn't build his platform by himself. And what you need to know today, whatever the size and scale of your platform is, you did not build your platform by yourself. And I want you to say this with me. On three, I want you to say, I did not build my platform by myself. One, two, three. You didn't. You didn't. But if you forget that, if you forget that, the wheels are going to come off of the life God wants for you and that you used to have with him. Now, humans helped Uzziah build his platform. They've helped you. But if it's a God-given platform, the main builder of that isn't your friends. It's not even you. It's God. God is building platforms. And if you pretend like you built it yourself, you can go and have a platform by yourself, but you're going to have the hand of God removed from you. It says in verse 16, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Do you know why that happened for Uzziah? Because that happens for every person. Our pride always leads to our downfall. You may get away with it for a bit, not forever. And hear this warning, but it also is an invitation to something beautiful. If humility brings God's help, pride makes God our opponent. See, some people go, okay, I won't be humble anymore. I'll be all about me and I'll dismiss God from my life. But the thing you see in the scriptures is you're not dismissing God from your life, not in one way. You see the imagery, maybe you think about a boxing ring. The imagery is not that you're still in your corner. God's no longer whispering into your ear and there's no one in the other corner. This is huge. God's not in your corner, but he's not outside the arena. He's on the other side. He has just become your opponent. And I know you're strong. Friends. There's passion and emotion in my voice because the most destructive thing that can happen for you and the people who are served through your platform is for God to be on the other side of the ring. It is not a fight you'll win. Immediately, immediately, outbreak of leprosy. And he's a leper till the day he dies. Now, Uzziah learned something that I want to say to you, and we see this all around. The platform that God helped you build over years or even decades can be gone in a moment. Let me say this again. Some of you are living proof of it. I'm not saying you can't rebound. I'm not saying there's not repentance and forgiveness and maybe a restoration for sure. But the platform that God helps you build over years and eventually even over decades, your foolishness, your pride, your walking away from knowing who your helper is can literally remove your platform immediately. It says that he reigned 52 years. The bad part that we just read came at the very end. It wasn't, and now probably there were some progressive things happening in him, progressing along. But in one moment, he lost everything that he had built with God's help for 52 years, which means if you're near retirement, it doesn't guarantee you're going to finish strong. And if you're just starting out, by the same token, I, I do think the reverse is true. If you've not done well in this area and you've made it all about you, uh, there, there's time to repent and to make things right and to finish in a better way than you started your career or vocation. It seems to me that while everything was going well for Uzziah, God was at the center. 
God's at the center. He's got opportunity. He's got success. He's got massive influence. And he's winning in all of the ways you would want to be winning. But then when his power's at the center, or his position's at the center, or his platform comes to the center of his life, or he himself comes to the center, it all goes bad in a hurry, doesn't it? Uzziah actually had another name. Now, you know one of his names. His other name was Azariah. And names back in this day and time, they weren't just what you were called. They actually spoke to who you were, your character, your identity, what you're really like. The name Uzziah meant the Lord is my strength. The name Azariah means the Lord helps. Uzziah literally forgot who he was. He he literally forgot what his names meant. Or to say it another way, to contemporize it just a little bit, he forgot where his ultimate identity came from. For you, are you receiving your identity from God or from your vocation? Are you receiving your identity from God or from your vocation? Now, there's a healthy sense in which, man, I, my role as pastor of Epic Church, it's not who I am. But, of course, I'm, I'm tied into that. It's what I do. If it were to go away, I was speaking with a gentleman after last service, and I was like, yeah, it would, it would be weird if I woke up tomorrow and I didn't have this. But it's not everything to me. It's important, but it's not everything. What about your identity? Tim Keller writes this in his book on idols uh, called Counterfeit Gods. He says, at the end, achievement can't really answer the big questions. Who am I? What am I really worth? How do I face death? It gives the initial illusion of an answer. There's an initial rush of happiness that leads us to believe we have arrived, been included, been accepted, and proved ourselves. However, the satisfaction quickly fades. And we all know that, don't we? Right? Everybody had that first amazing day at work and like, this is going to be awesome forever. Right? Six days later, you're like, I need a new job. (laughs) You tell me this all the time. I'm like, but I thought this was your dream job. Now, whether you need a new job, I don't know. My point is just that there's no job that can give you what you're asking it to give you if it's this. And and I want to say this. Not only can we treat our platform like it is our God, but the size of our platform can make us feel like we are God. This is big. This happened to Uzziah. So sometimes you look to a position or a platform and you say, if I get into that position, um, that's everything. Well, you've just made that platform an idol, but it gets worse. The larger your platform comes, guess what? You begin to think that you are God. Nobody can tell me what to do. I don't need your wisdom. It's gone really well for me so far. You You forget that the God who has given you your identity is the one who's making the rest of it happen too. And again, from Keller, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. That our security and value rests in our own wisdom, strength, and performance. If you're in a place of foolishness right now, thinking that you've brought about all of it, I want you to back away, not even slowly, but quickly. One way you can diagnose whether this identity idol thing is a real thing for you is just ask this question, how do you handle success and how do you handle failure? How do you handle success and how do you handle failure? This is from Keller again. It's not from a book. He just happened to tweet it one day. He said, don't let success go to your mind. Don't let failure go to your heart. We've been tracking the story of four individuals in our Epic Church community and showing you a series of videos. And I want to show you episode three now that has a lot to do with what we've been talking about.
what I'll do is I'll highlight a day that I felt particularly successful. And it sticks out in my mind because it was actually my 29th birthday. On that day, I was, I was traveling for work. I was in Boston. And the start of the day, I had to give a, a presentation to a, a lot of people at this, at this conference, um, which is something I, I absolutely love doing as part of my job. Just a lot of fun to get positive feedback from the audience. And so that was the start of the day. And then, and then that evening, I, I had a recruiting dinner where I spent two and a half hours with this top-notch engineer. And I was trying to convince him of our vision for the company and, and convince him to join us to start a new product line. And then I got back to my hotel room after that and found out that we had just received our first acquisition offer and you know you go to you go to bed on, on a day like that and you think wow there I am I'm kind of you know I've accomplished more than I ever thought I would have accomplished uh, certainly at that age on the next company that I was working on this was a number of years later uh, there was one particular day where I had a pitch lined up to talk to uh, 40 or 50 angel investors. And we had been working on the company for about two years at the time. I felt like I really understood um, the, the, you know, our, our positioning in the market, how I would describe the company. I felt like everything was all set. But there were some personal circumstances that were uh, distracting me at the time. I had just gone through some family emergency stuff a few months previous uh, to that. I was struggling with depression. Um, that morning I had some news from some good friends at church with just some really bad conflict that was going on in that community. And so my head was not in the right space that night. And I have never given such a poor presentation in my entire life. I got through half my slides in the allotted time. Nobody asked any questions. Uh, and an investor in my company who was there that night pulled me aside afterwards and he said, Ben, you gotta take a break because you gotta get your head right. It was that bad. Early in my career before moving to San Francisco, I was very um, career focused, just focused on my skills and advancing professionally and yeah just focusing on that I found it kind of empty ultimately and then got a job here and it was kind of the same story as well I moved here to be part of Silicon Valley and the startup scene here and just poured all my energy into work and um, ultimately didn't find work that fulfilling in and of itself and yeah I just realized that I'm never going to try to find this like happiness and fulfillment through work apart from God and doing it for him. It's interesting because it was like a second conversion experience. I grew up like in the church knowing about God and believing him, but it was kind of like this abstract belief where I felt like, yeah, I could give him 10% of my money and that's his and the rest is mine. And I could go to church on Sundays and that's his time and the rest of the week is mine. Um, but it wasn't until I came to rededicate my life and focus on pursuing Christ and truly what it means to be a follower of Christ that um, these priorities shifted in my life. For me, being a steward means I'm managing someone else's money or talent or whatever have you, so it's not mine. So for one is I cannot treat it as it's, if it's mine and use it as if it's mine. So I'm responsible to that person, and then in this case, to God. A couple things is one I, I've learned, and this is hard lesson, because sometimes we tend to take the glory ourselves, but then when I do that, I real, then I realize I'm so short from it that you know if I start taking the glory, I'm, I'm going to lose out to what God really has for me. So one, I learned to really always to glorify Him, this is all Him. And then the other thing, and I really have to, and I still struggle with this, is it's not mine, therefore, if He ever wants it all, am I willing to give it all up? 
and I still try to think about it from time to time. If he wants everything, wants the, my job title, all the possessions, am I willing? Would I go wherever he wants me to go? And I think I can say yes. I'm still, but it's, it'll be hard. It'll be hard. But that's a reminder that it's not mine, it's his. Prior to um, having our children, I worked in corporate America um, in marketing and physician relations, and I found a lot of the value of myself in that work. And transitioning to becoming a wife and becoming a mom and completely um, forsaking that life and coming to this new one, um, it's been tough to lean into a new stage of life and to recognize that God has me right where he needs me to be. But it's definitely been difficult when you hear all around you, you know, when are you going back to work? And you went to school and now you're staying home. The pressures of going back to a work outside of the home and not really feeling that encouragement from media and other people, even people that love you, um, it's hard. For me to gain that contentment, I really had to lean into um, God's word and lean into his promises. And I found that the times that I wa was not doing that, I would feel empty and I would feel as if what I'm doing isn't right where I need to be. But when I do lean into his promises and I listen to what he has to tell me, then I can gain more contentment and realize that he is for me, that he is in this season, that there is a purpose to what I'm doing um, and everything that I'm doing. I think the question of, of identity in work or identity in success and failure is something I'm constantly learning, even this week, uh, you know, struggle with not just responding to a, an email that's positive or negative and letting that, you know, shape my afternoon or my day. But to me, the, the, the way to figure that out is to just know your true identity, that you, that I, that we are created and loved children of God. That's it. And, and that's, that's what's real and that's what's eternal. And so everything else is put in such better perspective when you recognize what your true identity is. Suddenly these you know, individual successes or failures that come in in, in days or months or, or even years or decades, uh, that, that perspective is the, the small compared to the game that, that, that we're at as children of God. So grateful for these uh, guys and girls just helping us understand that what you, because what, what happens is you sit here every week and you go, I bet nobody else in here struggles like I do. Um, we all do. We all do. But thank you, those of you on the videos for helping us understand this. Let me give you just four practical things to walk away with from this talk, and then we'll, we'll close out our teaching time. Number one is this, seek God for who he is, not simply for what he can give you. Seek God for who he is, not simply for what he can give you. Here's why. If right now in your life you're seeking God so he can give you something, that something will eventually become your God. True story. Like if, if I, God, I'm doing this so you'll give me the girl. I'm doing this so you give me the position. Eventually what will happen, you know this. We all know it from experience. Some of us have even made promises to God. If you just get me this, I'll do this. And we're like, no, we won't. And then that thing that we were chasing, ultimately we weren't chasing God or seeking God. We were seeking through God something beyond God. And so when you say, I've got to have that thing, God, give it to me, that thing will eventually become your God. So seek God for who he is. And by the way, God's a lot better than whatever you're asking him to give you. Secondly, enjoy your vocation, but don't make it ultimate because it isn't. I hope you get to enjoy what you do most of the time. But it's still not, it can't be ultimate because it's, it's not ultimate. 
third one's a huge one. I think Uzziah probably lost his way. And I see so many people losing their way as their platforms grow. And it's, it's this one. Invite people who know you best to speak into your life. Invite people who know you best to speak into your life. He had Zechariah, I think, at that early stage of his life. But there came a time where he no longer had anyone telling him the truth. He had lots of fans, lots of followers, lots of people saying, long live the king. But nobody saying, Uzziah, don't do this. And here's the challenge. The practical challenge is the greater your platform is built, the fewer people there actually are who are ahead of you. It's a legitimate challenge. And many of you have this conversation with me. Ben, when I was here, I had so many people, but now I'm at this level. I'm in this position. I just don't know that many people. So they're here, probably even in our church community. And I encourage you to find them. Some of you are going to find them right through here. Legitimately, this is happening. Secondly, the bigger your platform expands, the no longer do you think you need anybody else. And you're just not that smart. You're not that experienced. You don't have enough notches on your belt or awards hanging in your office to not need other people. So find people engage them, get advice, be mentored, get some coaching. We all need that. I need people in my life, not who will go and which happens all the time. And I'm grateful for it, but I need people in my life, not who will applaud me for what I'm doing up here, but who know my heart, who see me on a fairly regular basis and say, Ben, you're not that good, right? You, 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 you're getting big headed, whatever the, I need people to do that. And I have a few people to do that. Do you have your people? If not, Uzziah's story will become your story. Because one day your platform might grow, but if you don't have anybody speaking into you. And the fourth one is this. I will passionately ask you, walk towards humility and walk away from pride. Every time a hint of one of these comes, I always think about a spectrum in my life of humility and pride. Because you don't usually, just like most sin in our life, we don't get from here to here overnight, do we? But we begin thinking, oh, I'm better than so-and-so. That's leaning towards pride. We begin thinking, oh, I'm God's gift to this church. or I'm God's gift to my business. Or I'm God's gift to the technology industry. All of those things start leaning towards pride. And when you recognize that, run away from it really, really quickly and say, God, I was wrong. I forgot that you're my helper. I forgot that I'm, I'm, I'm loved and I have an identity. But all that I have, it comes from you. And the last thing I want to say to you today is there are people in this room who have begun to think of a desire that something like this, wow, I didn't know that my identity did not have to fluctuate. I want to be freed from my identity fluctuating. So many of your identities, you're allowing, because of what you're finding your identity in, it's fluctuating, right? When you win, it fluctuates. When you lose, it fluctuates. When you're young, it's one thing. When you get older, it's another thing. When you don't have a job, it's one thing. When you have the best job in the world, it's a different thing. And Jesus is coming to offer you an identity that doesn't have to move up and down with your circumstances. You want to be freed from that. It's good news. You can be. You can be. And the question is like, Ben, okay, I don't want a fluctuating identity. How can Jesus do that? Well, A, because he is everything that you and I long for. He can satisfy our deepest longings. B, the scriptures say that Jesus is the same yesterday, this day, tomorrow, and forever. And your job isn't that. And your position isn't that. And your current company and your next company and three companies from now won't be that. And if you IPO, it won't give it to you. And if you don't, you don't have to lose out. You can have an identity that actually is stable. And I want to ask you to pray with me in this moment. Just go ahead and close your eyes if you would, because I want to ask a question so that I can know who I'm praying for today. If you're in the space today and you say, Ben, I know exactly what it's like to have a fluctuating identity. I'm there right now even. But I want Jesus to free me into this secure identity. Would you just lift a hand so I can pray for you? And I'm there with you. There's so many of us there with you. Awesome. Great. Great. And I just want to remind you, you can be a son or daughter of God if you're not. If you are, that is the truest identity. God, you see everyone's hearts and even hands in this space. 
And God, I pray that you would free men and women and even boys and girls and teenagers and students in this auditorium because we do not want who we are to be dictated by how we perform. And you've given us a different path. May we take Uzziah's lesson to heart. God, if he was a friend of ours, we would be so heartbroken. And we would, we would say about him, wow, he ran his race the right way for five decades. And then somewhere along the way, he made it about something else. God, help us hold our platforms loosely. Give us humility. Help us to walk away from pride. Help us to seek you, not what you can simply give us. God, bring men and women into our lives who can speak the truth into us. They know us best and care about us most. God, would you do a work in this moment of freeing us in Christ's name? Amen. I want to ask you to stand. I want to say one thing about the song we're about to sing. I'm a very big proponent of self-awareness, and I'm a big proponent of self-reflection. But what happens over time and what's dangerous is self-obsession and self-absorption. And so what Kendrick's going to do is going to lead us in a familiar song for us here at Epic. And it's not going to talk about how great you are. It's going to get us swept up in how great God is. And as we see his greatness, some of this other stuff will have to go by the wayside because you can't see the greatness of God and worship him and be on the throne of your own life. So let's sing this, but let's live this.